Welcome everybody to the Fit Me Notes Podcast. Back, y'all. Oh, producer Daniel. Jamon. Uh, and yeah, my Michael Jackson impressions aren't good, but I will definitely say what is really good about today's episode is we're going to be answering some questions, questions. Uh, from our faking fam on the, uh, the Discord server. And, you know, this first one uh, from Emmanuel, it's kind of like piggyback. It's dovetailing off our, our last conversation, you know, the, our, la- our latest episode the uh, uh, about stage fright. And um, Emmanuel asks, how do you center yourself on stage? And I think that's like a really, really profound question. And I'm wondering, like, you know, Trevor, Daniel, like, what do you guys, what do you personally do to center yourself on stage? Like, let's say something bad happens, you know, in the middle of a performance. And we, we literally just talked about this, but like, yeah, can you can you bring it? bring it back home for people who didn't listen to that episode. Like, what do you do to like, something goes wrong. How do you get back in the zone? Open up first, Daniel, since you're performing mine, mine will be uh, a little bit. <laughs> center myself. Uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I just fart on stage and just, you know, <laughs> like, you hold like, the mic let, down. You just, just let it out. You know, Shrek always says, you know, better out than in. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, in terms of centering yourself, my perception of centering yourself is keeping yourself balanced. And I think something that really helps with that is breathing. And the reason why I say that is because uh, when you focus on your breathing, it really kind of makes you aware of what's going on in your body. Mm -hmm. And um, that allows me to really think about, you know, how I'm kind of positioning myself, you know, there was an exercise that I learned in uh, a teacher uh, training course, Suzuki pedagogy method. And um, I think it was like a presentation from one of my colleagues. And he was talking about this idea of when you breathe, you know, you close your eyes and you try to envision what, the anxiety looks like, Hmm. you know, and I always like to think of anxiety as like this, like gooey, like slime. It's like Nickelodeon green slime. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like flubber, (laughs) flubber. Oh my God. Deep breath. Yeah. 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 You know how like you see on those Nickelodeon shows, like everyone gets doused in that slime. Mm -hmm. It's like disgusting. You know, apparently it tastes really good. (laughs) <laughs> Does it, Does it probably just put sugar? Yeah. Like tastes like green apple. Yeah, um, but I always envision it like that. So like he, he was saying that uh, when you breathe, you tell yourself um, the anxiety or whatever, you know, what, what you're envisioning is in your body. Mm-hmm. And then as you breathe out, you tell yourself now it's exiting my body. I find that really helps me kind of, it really centers myself, mm-hmm. you know, both physically and also mentally because mm-hmm. centering yourself is all, is, is a, is a two way thing from what I understand. It's a physical and a mental thing. So mm-hmm. there's the book, that. the tools and the first tool it talks about, uh, is just that like overcoming either the thing that's preventing you or that thing that's distracting you or the fear and anxiety and to kind of boil it down. It's, describe something similar. It's like imagining 
some type of physical metaphysical existence of the problem as kind of like a cloud in front of you and it basically tells you to you really focus in on it you're honing in on this cloud and then you're supposed to say fuck you to the cloud and you walk <laughs> through it like that's it like just it's a simple little routine and it tells you to practice this and do this with everything whether it's high stakes low stakes but you're just imagining it fuck you you're taking control over it and then to pass through it because it doesn't need to block you it doesn't need to be a part uh of what's holding you back it's just a thing and you it's it's a cloud you can walk through it it's not some big scary monster some scary rock what about you drew so specifically on stage i'm like very aware of what's going on in my body and my job that I've given myself at least like in recent years is to be as loose as possible. You know, if you are a weeb like me, if you imagine like <laughs> you're like Naruto and like your musical ability is like your chakra network, whenever you're tense, you're, you're breaking the flow of like your energy moving through your body. Right. And so what I, I tend to do is when I'm nervous, I tighten up specific parts of my body. And so my present brain that is outside of like the musical expression that's telling myself, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. You're not going to mess up. Oh, you messed up. It's okay. Let it go. Let it go. The other dialogue other than that is like, okay, I tend to suck in my stomach for some reason, because like, I'm very self-conscious about my stomach for some reason. And I want it, I want to look really thin and just like buff and, sh and uh, you know, all that stuff when I'm on stage. <laughs> you do though, man. You do. I do the opposite. Okay. Cause when I'm sucking it in and, and being self-conscious about that, I'm by being tense in my gut, I'm also tightening my diaphragm which makes my breathing more shallow which then leads to more tension in my shoulders yes. and so i've actively told myself push your gut out plant your feet and push your gut out and by doing that one thing personally everything else loosens up my shoulders my elbows my fingers my wrists you know, my breathing gets deeper and I can settle into the instrument and be way more loose. So personally, what I do to center is like release as much tension as humanly possible and then try to release some more because the more loose you are, the less resistance you're going to get to doing what you actually want to do and the less likely you're going to hurt yourself. So that's, that's how I center myself on stage. As a composer, we're never on stage when we're composing. <laughs> it's this weird thing to where everything is kind of in reverse. That alone time, your practice room, is the scariest moment because that's your stage. You're creating what's going to go on stage. And so for me, like the, the, all the mental spookiness that really holds us back, the anxieties, like it kicks in and you're kind of alone. It feels terrible. There's perks. It's not like stage fright where you're surrounded by everyone. But you start thinking about that future performance when you're writing it. And people are they're booing you because your piece sucks. 
<sighs> and you know you but you didn't put in enough time into it and if only you had more time but that holds you back and so you procrastinate it more and then the piece sucks worse because you put in less time and all these things kind of build up so a lot uh at least on the creative side of things on the creation side because you're alone you're dealing with a lot of the same procrastination things and fears and so looking up ways to overcome that certainly helps we've had a lot of episodes about this but I find it's very similar to get into that zone is you're just bringing your attention back to something simple it can be related or not meditation, bringing it back to the breath or finding ways to distract the lizard brain to distract the anxiety by making things simpler. It's like you've, you've written a lot. You've created a bunch of pieces. You've done this hundreds of times, like stop freaking out. Also, no one's going to be really caring about your piece. Uh, they're not thinking negatively about you. They're just going to be worried like, oh, is it cool or did I feel something? It's it's their whole life. While what you do is very important and you can bring lots of joy into the life, it's, it's not surgery. If you make a little error or it's not 100%, no one's going to die. Um, and so like, just go ahead and get that pressure off this. No one is thinking about your piece or your performance. No one is thinking about it more than you are. No one in the history will think about it more than you are. And just find some, find some and that's okay. Find some comfort in it. So they're going to, it's going to be a part of their life. So just make it enjoyable while they're there. <laughs> and so for me, it's just as simple as I got this little timer. Bought one of the, it's a little five minute sand timer. And I just simply turn it over. And it'll go for five minutes. So it's just like some of these like procrastination techniques. It's so simple. When I need to sit down, I count down in reverse from three, three, two, one, taking the breath, flip the timer, and then I just go. And just a simple little ritual like that, like just tricks, tricks my brain to not worry about, you know, living in the shadow of some great composer or how terrible it is. It's like, you just got to make stuff. And that's how I can at least center myself by doing this, making it a game, making it a super simple ritual. Mm -hmm. I see an extension of this question. Uh, Amelie Viol, uh, one of our Discord um, users, says, yes, how does one prepare for going blank related to stage, stage anxiety? What Oof. happens when, you, when it's blank? You freaked out, you're off your game plan. It's the worst feeling, for sure. Right, Drew? <laughs> I'm going blank right now. No, I would say it's normal. Yeah. And honestly, I'm thankful that this is this is gone. Like this part, this part of uh, my journey is 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 no more. I don't really go blank anymore. Um, mostly because I think of music more horizontally. I think that when you go blank, you tend to lose sight of the overall story. It's kind of like watching a movie that you really, really love and that you've seen a bunch of times, but there's like, you know, the beginning, you know, the end, but you forget what happens in the middle. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that just, that, that, that's because you, you haven't really walked through the steps of like, if this, then this, 
and if this, then this. You, you, you don't understand the path yet. And it depends on, like, if you're doing solo Bach. If you're doing solo mm-hmm. Bach, that can be a little harder to, like... So easy. It's a st- string of like 16th yeah. notes. So easy. Part of it is just repetition and knowing and just knowing what comes next and then and then being able to latch on to that. And if you go blank, go to the next thing you remember, even if that's like four lines down, right? Like yeah. j- just just it, it's 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 an aspect of the work that you just can't get around. And and if you've done enough of it, you'll have something to latch on to. And if you haven't, you know, it, it's a lesson to like remember to go back to the drawing board. And yeah, I mean, that. I think it really goes back to what Trevor was referring to in the stage fright um, episode, which is you know the wise words that Obi Wan told uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, <laughs> just to um, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. You know <laughs> I what have I mean? the because, high grounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just trust your feelings because trusting myself prevents this idea of going blank, trusting the work that you put in, because if you put in enough work and if you put in enough repetition, then it's just kind of like something you need to think about. It might be different for everyone else, but going blank for me, like I have to think about it and then it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like this thought in my head. It's like, what if I miss this note? And then boom, it happens. And then I'm like thrown off. So because I'm actively thinking about it, it happens. So like, you know, what I do uh, in my performance mentality is that I, I trust myself that I know exactly what's happening and I'm going to trust my body, my fingers to do, to do that for me. And, you know, it's going to happen to the best of us. I've seen, like, I kid you not, I've seen Yo-Yo Ma go blank in concerts. Really? You just, yeah. Like you, you, it's just something you have to accept. I mean, like for me as well. You know, in uh, in a recent concert with Drew in San Diego, there was this one section of a song where I just went blank. Really? But yeah, I went totally blank. Fire. No. <laughs> and, but yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went completely blank, but there was two things I did. You know, one, I didn't advertise it. Bingo. You know? And two, it actually sounded good. You know, I looked back on the clip and and it actually sounded pretty good. It was like almost like a silence and then like a, a beat drop or something like that. Yeah. You Wait, know what I mean? Taylor Swift. When was the, it? This was, a Ed Sh- this was the Ed Sheeran concert like last week. Really? Or whenever. Yeah. I didn't even notice you dropping out. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I dropped out because I went blank. But so wow. honestly, for the faking fam, like going blank and just kind of like stopping, you know, having one of the, it, it actually might sound good. And, and yeah, it might actually sound like you didn't make a mistake. Same thing what we talked about with like we you can be you should kind of should be more upset with yourself if something is perfect but not interesting uh, than if you had taken a risk and, and it didn't quite pan out or failed. I think it's that that's something like similar, at least in the music performance world, when when you have these blanks or there's some big mistake. And that my teacher would tell us stories, something similar, but um, I won't spend time on on this episode I've done in the past. But basically, 
if we had those memory slips or if we blanked or something didn't go quite well, you'd be more upset if you telegraph that to the audience than the actual mistake itself. Because it's like, listen, they don't know this piece. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, it, even if they did, sometimes they smile when Yo-Yo Ma forgets something. It becomes endearing. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah. oh, wow, great. Even he can't. Or it's funny. Or they laugh it off and they get going. Like yeah. it's totally fine. It, it will happen to the best. You see this all the time on presidential debate stages or Supreme Court hearing confirmations where yep. you're asked all these high level questions and you've been in the field and you're at the top of your game. And then they ask some like softball thing, you know, okay, could you name the three departments of this? And like you work in one of those departments, you're going to be in charge of the world and you just forget because you're not like thinking at that level. It's that, it's that, are you smarter than a fifth grader? You absolutely are. But when you're asked these basic fundamental questions, you haven't thought about that for forever. So it's not, it's, you know, having things by rote or by memory isn't a direct assessment of your artistic ability or your mental capacity. Um, it's not everything. It's just part of the, it's part of the equation. And so I think it is good to remember specifically. Um, yeah, also, uh, Eric, Eric, um, Mm -hmm. also had asked a question, you know, how to handle memory issues. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just understanding that you're going to have it. The last example, again, from a hidden brains, uh, hidden brain episode, uh, about stage fright was at Obama's confirmation. Justice Roberts walks up. And they're doing the the hold the Bible, hold the Constitution, repeat after me. You're getting sworn in. It's the most viewed inauguration in history with the oh, yeah. biggest with the biggest crowd size. You know the biggest. Crowd <laughs> size. And um, and I forgot about this. These people have been in high pressure situations their entire life. They're literally oh. some of the most important people in the world. And they flub the back and forth like repeat after me yeah. i barack Obama, i, barack Obama, I this, swear yeah. to the to, to uphold the gods to, you know yeah justice robert says the wrong thing probably like he's he just mixes up the words i responsibly hold the blah and then it trips up obama <laughs> because yeah. he's been practicing this moment you know for quite some time and then there's this like cute little endearing thing where hey he's about to be the president for uh, you know, eight years of the free world and they're fucking up the speech at the yeah. inauguration. And it's a repeat after me, like they're yeah. reading the script. Yeah. And I mean, it just goes to show that you're going to have those moments. They're laughing yeah. it off. They have, you know, it's like, oopsie, but you know, what caused that is probably because even though they've done it a hundred times, he probably yes. focused a little too much on the words. I bet he like overthought it. He starts actually thinking about it as opposed yeah. to going on autopilot. And so one big part, I think, just to avoid the memory slips and to be more conscious of this is, as Drew and Daniel were saying, like having some way simplifying the process. Drew in the stage fright episode, he's not thinking note to note anymore. He's not even thinking chord to chord anymore. He's thinking like sectional, piece, melody. So at least for me, as long as I thought about singing the piece, and didn't think this note to this note to this note, if I just sung it back, my fingers know the right position. My embouchure knows the right place I need to be because I practiced it. If I'm just thinking about the music, whenever I get distracted, I start thinking about my 
breathing or like, did I miss this? Or like, is it this note? I would absolutely start to fuck up. But if I just simply like sang the piece in my head or sang through my instrument, it was good. It, it would, it would be okay. Yeah. Just one quick thing. I, I, I was just, I just uh, remembered this. I thought it was funny in my like entire experience performing, you know, the music of Shostakovich, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times, I, I promise you, like, no one is ever going to know if you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only you, right? Am I right, Drew? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so yeah. interesting, in particular, Shostakovich. It's like, oh, I messed up here. Audience is like, I didn't hear it. Even oh, I'm even talking like professional musicians. Like, I didn't hear it at all. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting. It's <laughs> You have to realize that, <clears throat> and this is something you'll really get when you record, right? It's never as good as you thought it was going to be. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, yeah. Like you, you're like, I killed that shit. And you listen back, you're like, ugh. Yep. But, and the same, by the same token, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be either. Because you're mm. like, oh, man, that one note was so out of tune. Or like, oh, man, I the articulation was so off. And you listen back and it's like, actually, not that bad. <laughs> really not that bad. Yeah. Really Every time. Could, it's because like when you're in it and in the moment, everything moves slower. Your brain is just moving faster. Yeah. I'm thinking faster, but honestly it's, it's all good, right? It's all good. So I want to like jump into this. Cause like we have a couple of questions like pertaining to uh, other genres and recording and, and all this other great stuff. But before we get into that, um, Emmanuel also had another question about like, you know, how do you switch, you know, while you're performing in a concert and you have a lot of different moods, how do you switch between moods or between genres or things like that? Maybe Daniel, you could speak to this and I could speak uh-huh. to this. Um, so moods being like emotions or like, like, like okay. So we play different music with different muscle sensations like let's say you've got like okay. really high octane shoskovich oh and yeah then you've got like Edgy. mozart <laughs> and then you got and mozart then you've got brahms and yeah. then you so how do you move between those different or like it could be more extreme you've got piazzola and then you've mm. got van halen and then you've got taylor swift mm. all the, those Tennessee. are all the same same you moves. know <laughs> yeah you know no actually like in all seriousness I was thinking about this not too long ago. I mean, you know, what is so different between, you know, something like Van Halen and I don't know, like a, like a really rock out, rocking out kind of piece, like a Shostakovich eight second movement. What, Mm -hmm. what is really so different about that? Now, in terms of the sound atmosphere, that's obviously different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now I'm thinking about it. Shasti eight second movement. It's about war. Oh yeah. So maybe that's not a good example, but you know, like, um, like what is so different between a love song from Schumann or like Beethoven and Taylor Swift? Mm-hmm. They're both saying the same thing mm-hmm. in terms of genres. You know, like switching between genres. I I really think it's about educating yourself on these genres Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. immersing yourself in these genres Mm -hmm. because I see so many classical musicians just listening to classical music. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, like 
now granted i grew up not knowing i was going to become a classical musician so i i was listening you know i listened to rap i listened to rock i listened to jazz i listened to a lot of korean music i listened to a lot of stuff growing up Mm -hmm. but you know my love for rap is the reason why i have a strong rhythmic foundation And I always think that my, my huge Ray Charles phase, believe it or not, I was, I'm huge on Mm. Ray Charles is the reason why I know how to play soulful pop and R&B and all those things, the Mm -hmm. the nuances, the little nuances and stuff like that. I didn't know you were into Ray Charles. Dude, Ray Charles, like, I'm telling you. He is probably Charles, bro. One of my favorite, if not my favorite, musician of like all time. Wow, just unbelievable. But anyways, um, so immersing yourself in these genres, you know, getting a sense of what is different in terms of the sound environment, because the emotions Mm -hmm. are all the same. Mm -hmm. You know, what is a genre? Right, is just a way to organize the sound that is that has certain rules that are uniformly deployed in a certain pattern and and so like if you kind of understand that like let's just take classical within classical music there are different genres like you don't play bach like you play beethoven like you don't play brahms Right. They all have to like with Baroque music, you're like, okay, don't sustain like decay, lots of decay in the sound. Uh, The shorter note lengths need longer bow strokes and the longer note lengths need shorter bow strokes. Right. There are just certain conventions and rules that you adhere to to create like a specific sound palette. Yes. And so when you like what you what you said, Daniel, like when you learn the rule, the quote quote rules of each genre, you can then when you approach different types of music, once you know the rules of engagement, then you just deploy the rules. Yep. Right. Yep. And that just comes with time and education and, yep. and immersion. Yep. Uh, and exactly. I, I can definitely I verify what you said, Daniel, about like just like ornaments. And just feel and vibe. Nuance. The more you listen to it, and the more yeah. you actually try to emulate it, the more yeah. it'll just become your language too. Yeah, it's like you're you're like Kakashi, the copy ninja. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you just you just freaking like get all the jutsu. Yeah, and man, deploy I'm, it when you need it. I'm taking a couple pages out of your playbook at the moment in terms of soulful melodies. If you, if you haven't noticed. Not nah, you know to you me. know how to you you know how to play a mean soul me- melody in terms of ornamentation you know like before the note to the note oh yeah the, I, the, yeah I've been doing a lot of that lately dude I'm, I'm literally you. copying Kevin Olusala you know oh really K-O? yeah K O okay. shout out come on Copy, we gotta get him on the podcast but oh we do it, on the creation side of like mm-hmm. writing in different genres it's it's the same thing. You got to be educated in the genre to understand the quirks to yep. not just bring in a classical mind mindset into these other genres, because we've all seen it. We've all heard it, a boring arrangement or a horrible performance of some pop piece because they're playing the notes in the, the right place and they're missing everything else about that song that makes it special. Because if you write down 99% 
of music onto sheet music across the world because of the conventions of notation. It's going to lose all of its magic. It won't look special. But that's not the point or the objective of that song. So me, besides education, I try to think about what is the goal? What is the objective of this song? Is it to make you feel? Is it to be sung along to? Was the production of this album what made it special? Is it the lyrics that made this one special as opposed to the melody? Is it the rhythm? And so I just, I think about like, what really is the goal of what I'm trying to do here? If I want people to sing along, I'm going to try to play it in a way that makes it easier for them to sing along. If I want it to be soulful, is this a singing melody? I'm going to sing that sucker through the instrument. And it's a, it's just the same exact thing when it comes to like switching mindsets, which is something I have to do a lot of, you know, writing music for a trailer is very different than writing music for a super contemporary dance piece. Mm. And so like, how do I, how did I do this at the same time? Uh, is just remembering what the objective is. What is the goal? And to keep it simple. And so like the step beyond just genre is, uh, look at Netflix. They got these little subtitles. And it's just three things. You know, it's like this movie is thriller, comedy, outlandish. You know, they spend a lot of time thinking yeah. of those little categories. And yeah. that's kind of all you need to kind of get the point across of like what you're yeah. going for. So if you just keep it simple, if you've done your, your homework, you've listened to the genre, you've learned the rules, you're just finding th three words or something. And and I think it's if you just write that at the beginning of your on your on your part on your score or in the file name, if you just remember something simple, don't give yourself fifty things to remember. Something simple, three words, and then as long as you're living up to those three words, those those subtitles, those objectives, you're going to do great. That's amazing. So um, I think the last thing we'll kind of touch on is uh well before we we move on to recording because we have a wonderful question from andrew lara but uh before we hop into that i just wanted to finally say like if you want to do other genres like it's literally as daniel said like don't just listen to classical like what what daniel was talking about what he when he said like i do like grace notes and stuff like that i've learned that because i listen to guitarists yeah like, jazz and blues and r&b i i want to play neo soul and r&b viola like and i listen to those guitar players and they make these really tasty chords but it's not the fact they move from chord to chord it's how they approach each chord and they do yeah. it with different ornaments and grace notes and so i've been internalizing that by just watching tons of Instagram reels and YouTube videos, just watching them play. And I think that one can apply those things to any instrument. So go yeah. outside of like, so, okay, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot mm -hmm. and I, I want to put this on wax. It is my firm belief that a lot of people fail in classical music because they try to sound like each other. Mm. Your goal mm -hmm. is not supposed to be trying to sound like somebody who's already made it. Because if you do, yes. you're never going to be them. You're just going to yeah. be the budget David Oystrock. You know what I mean? <laughs> so what should your goal be to sound like you? And how do you sound like you? Well, 
get your influences from places that other people if everybody's being influenced by the same thing they're all going to sound the same mm-hmm. so i was yeah. like okay so if i want to sound like no other violists on planet earth what if i just listen to non-violists what if i listen Ayo. what if i'm a violist that listen to guitarists how many violists yeah. on planet earth listen and try to like emulate guitarists For look at many. ken yeah. kubota he's yeah. the only cellist that i know on planet earth who plays a cello like a guitar and now there are people adopting that technique he's trailblazing he's creating a whole new way to think of the instrument right so i want to yeah yeah yeah, i want to be this uh steve vi of cello steve can you explain that i saw that in the spotify playlist i was like I Steve thought only Vi. I knew about Steve Vai. I had no idea Daniel was in I don't Steve Vai. It's a guitarist. It's a, he's a he's a, he's a ele- guitarist. He's, guitarist. He's like, like the Paganini of electric guitar. Yeah, really. Like, he is incredible. 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 Yeah. He's he's, he's one of those. Yeah, it's the guitarist. Guitarist. Like if you're interested in virtuosic guitar. Oh yeah. Like it's is. it's not music for like publicity. It's music for guitarists. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. What about Ichik? Uh, he's like a guitarist on Instagram. Uh-huh. E- each, uh huh. Ich uh Ichika Mo. Do you know who I'm talking Mo? about? No. Yeah, no. Ichika underscore Mo. So it's I C H I K A underscore Mo. Okay. This guy is literally the greatest guitarist I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, yeah, I watch out. his stuff ad nauseum yeah every one of his videos makes me think oh i haven't done anything with my life (laughs) okay he is phenomenal if you want to see like how far you can go with an instrument watch ichikamo anyway exactly uh that's steve i okay so we have a we have a a a, a spotify playlist yeah 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 we have a video uh yeah it's on the spotify playlist spotify playlist official um, faking notes Podcast. If you want to, uh, yeah, Faking Fam, if you guys want to listen to Steve Vai, look up Tender Surrender on YouTube by Steve Tender Vai. Surrender. I, could, I used to be able to play almost all of it on guitar. Really? Yeah, my heyday. Like, there's a couple, <laughs> oh. like, there's a couple, like, because I was super into virtuosity. And yeah. so, of course, I was a big Steve Vai. But there's, like, a couple passages where it's just like, no, that's, dude, that's not going to happen. But. Dude, dude. <laughs> Dude, video or it didn't happen. Video or it didn't that's happen. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, we're, t- we're 10 years away from that those days. So, like, <laughs> I mean, we but can, say can it you did. bring it back, please? Like, VHS, our, our, you know, where's the VHS? Early YouTube days. We need content. But content. Those were something else. Like learning, <laughs> like, learning that. And then you get other, like, I don't know. He's just, he's just so nuts. Yeah. So, when it comes to recording daniel oh um man do you have advice or comments on like recording sessions like let's say you get called uh to go do like a netflix show or something and you haven't seen the music yeah you show up they put the music on stand and they're like okay we're gonna give you uh measure measure three for measure five Mm -hmm. uh here we go you know yeah and then, so w- do you personally have like anxiety when it comes to recording that it, and is it different than s- being on a stage? Um, okay. Well, first of all, first off, I'm, I'm looking at this question. I'm wondering mm-hmm. by recording sessions, 
do you mean like a Netflix thing or like a recording session for like a pre-screen recording? Let's do both. Let's run okay, both scenarios because I think they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. Let's start Absolutely. with the first one. So um, I actually, I mean, you know, I don't have as much experience in terms of, you know, recording for like a film or, mm-hmm. or TV show like you do, Drew. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is that there's always a sense of like uh, anxiety for me going into the recording. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because like, I'm not sure what's going to happen mm-hmm. and like, you know, getting to the place also. But then once I sit down in the chair and I take a look at the music and I, I get acquainted and like meet all the people, I look at the music. It's almost like I, I, I'm very centered and I'm comfortable. Like it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is, this is not bad. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of a, you know, funny thing, but on, but also serious, like how much do you practice with the metronome? Because if you mm-hmm. practice more with the metronome, these sessions are going to go much better for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Drew? With the click tracks and everything. Yeah. People so. don't practice with metronomes and it fucking shows, shows dude. <laughs> it's crazy. Shows. But that's how you, that's how you internal look. You cannot avoid it. it even jazz cats play with metronomes. People yep. who play rock, prog rock, people who yep. play screamo and like yeah, any yeah. genre that you can imagine, you have to have a basis of internal pulse. So, yes. but when it comes to, you know, recording for a pre screening or recording mm. for an Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Video, so, like, how's that different for you? I mean, in terms of, you know, I, I have my fair share, but I also prepare a lot of my students for, you know, and I actually just prepared my first student for a pre-screening college recording. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, it was it was stressful. But, you know, there are a couple things that I really try to um, really uh, communicate at least to myself and remind myself and also communicate to my students, which is. Don't spend all day recording. <laughs> Don't spend nine to 10 hours. You know, when you record for nine to 10 hours, it's like, you know, you're trying to get the perfect take and yeah. there's no such thing as a perfect take. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and then on top of that, your body can't do nine to 10 hours of playing. And Especially high octane. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, your body and your brain can't listen through all those takes. Yeah. <laughs> like, because what happens? Life. What happens? Because yeah, just jumping in here. Because I'm typically yeah, yeah. on the other side. I'm pressing yeah. record. There's a film or something else, and I know that if we do 13 takes of this, I'm not listening to 13 takes of this. If yeah. if maybe if you know it's this is for Disney and like you're getting paid a bunch and like this is a life or death career changing moment. Yeah, I'm gonna sh- sift through all those. But in the reality of the situation, and even for big projects, yeah, the person on the other end doesn't even have time to go through all those. So it's just a waste. There might be a warm up take or two, yeah. Uh, but yeah, my advice is go in there, kind of have a number, a smaller yeah. number, like how many of these would I actually want to listen through, and like stick with that like your brain's going to be tired it's just going to keep getting worse and you'll start noticing things that you need to fix but you don't have time to fix those so i think uh, i i recently watched a video just some youtuber who was talking about 
editing comedy. And I can't remember the yeah. names, but it was the guy who edited, uh, it, it was the guy who like edited like, um, curb your enthusiasm and a bunch of other mm-hmm. comedies. He's the main editor and he wrote a book yeah. about editing comedy. And so his strategy simply was he looks at the last take and works backwards because comedy requires mm. tighter editing. It requires tighter editing and they they don't do a bunch of takes. Often things are really slow when they're first, the actors are getting used to the script. They're comfortable. They're getting used to the situation. And it, 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 he's, he'll show it like the recorded version and then the final take and the duration. So a scene that was two and a half minutes will wind up being like 52 seconds. And he's like, more often than not, what I'm taking is one is like the second to last take or combinations of that. Like never really making it the first because you get all the nerves out uh, and, and vice versa. So if you're doing run throughs and it's required run through, like consider that like working backwards. Like if you start noticing more errors creeping in, just stop, look at what you already have. It might be good enough. If this is one of those things like for a film where you're compiling takes, yeah, don't do that many takes. You don't even have time to listen through all of those. Yeah. <laughs> like you got power. it. You, you yeah. got it in there. Yeah. Also just trust yourself. Like, um, we're going to go backwards with me, but uh, shout out to Andrew Lara for this wonderful question about like recording and, and the mindset uh, um, discourse discord server has been blowing up. Y'all we, we love join uh, us talking to you. Join us. Fake and fam. Like it's, it's like really, I know we sound like a cult, but we're not, I swear we have cookies. <laughs> Death cookies. <laughs> uh, but so, so what, what I think is like really interesting I'm going to go in reverse order talking about like recording for, uh, you know, either auditions or for me, it's often Instagram. Like what you don't see is like, I'll sit there for an hour or two hours trying to record the same thing. And I will have dozens of takes. And typically what it is for me is a form of practice where I'm trying to get a better idea of what I really want to say. And when you record yourself so intensely, you actually get so much better at knowing what's happening in real time because you have to go back and listen to what you just did. And so then you you start knowing, okay, that wasn't a really good take. And that wasn't a really good take. And honestly, I get so nervous when I turn the camera on. I only get better at it the more I do it. Like, And if I haven't done it for a while, it'll take longer because like, I just get nervous. I'm like, oh, oh. And, and then the craziest thing is like, whenever I do the best take is when the camera will have run oh. out of like, it will have died <laughs> or I will have run out of space and it will have grabbed the first 10 seconds yeah. of it. And like, <sighs> oh, that was the one. Cause yep. you'll know when it's the one you'll be like, oh yeah, that felt really good. And it's like, uh, card is full. Yep. Tilting. No! So tilting. So what I will <laughs> say is like, for social media side, look at it as practice, not as performance. Mm. Oh, mm. look at it as practice, and you're documenting oh. your practice. When you yeah. do that, like the shit changes because then the stakes are so much lower, and then you can then get started a personal conversation of like, how can I make this as interesting as possible? Like, how quietly. Mm-hmm can I play here or how dynamic can I make this phrasing? Like how can I use my bow 
with yeah. maximum efficiency. And and then I'm like really working like, wow, I'm not even thinking about intonation. I'm like, okay, let's make sure my bow is doing exactly what I want it to do because I want to say something here. And then uh, you, you start, you know, it, it changes like your feedback mechanism um, of like practicing. Cause usually when you practice and you don't record yourself, it's like you, you can let yourself get off with bad habits or playing badly. But when you're putting it on camera, it's a whole nother level of accountability. So uh, I would say it's healthy, do it more often. And if you find yourself losing concentration, take a break. Um, Mm. And when it comes to recording for auditions and stuff, give yourself two recording days and only set aside three hours each day. Yes. It, like don't yeah. don't set aside more time and yeah typically you'll get it done on the first day because you yeah. have this feeling of security knowing that you have one more day in case mm, things go yeah. terribly wrong right yeah. uh and then when it comes to like the recording in a studio uh for like work and stuff like that i, I feel similarly to daniel like it i don't really get nervous necessarily because I've been doing it for so long, but also what you're doing is adding the garnish to some sort of musical composition. And so the stakes are lower. You have to realize like, yeah, you have to show up and kill it. But oftentimes like it's, it's rare for you to be asked to do stuff. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's pretty simple. It's, yeah. it, it can be very simple, simple yeah. work. So, yeah, uh, it's not Mozart. It's not Brahms. Exactly. There's no. There's no like expectation. Playing football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unless it's uh, unless it's um, you know, Danny Elfman music. Then oh, you're oh. working. Practice. Then you're working. The, you better practice. <laughs> and I think just yeah, like just to put a little bow in it. Just don't let the recording session be the first time you're recording. We all have phones. And even if you're not going to listen to any of those, I'd advise you should. You should be – see, I'm a composer. I can say like self-tape because I'm lazy. Like I don't have to. Uh, (laughs) Like we know I'm going to take myself humming or thinking. Uh, It's depressing. But like we – everyone's saying there's all these great people who are winning auditions and crushing it. And so many of them self-tape. Drew's doing it for Instagram. Like we're, we're like doing all these mock performances, just like whenever you're doing something high stakes, which a recording session can be, it can be very expensive. It's for a pre-screening tape. It's, it's for some film thing. And the more you do it, the, the less it'll feel scary. But also uh, just as long as you put up that phone, you got the voice memo, you don't even need to listen to it. Or you put up the phone, you got the camera going, you're videoing yourself. The more comfortable you get playing for the little red dot, playing for the phone, that when it's a bigger camera or a bigger red dot, and you're in, you're at, you know, East West Studios or you're at Warner Brothers or whatever, it's like who cares? You've done it before. You've gotten used talking to the camera. The and the Max case, I'm staring at a little green dot, but you've just gotten used and comfortable to the act of doing it, so that it's simply less spooky when it, you actually need to go in and do it in the moment. And uh, 
that's all she wrote, y'all. Like, thank you so much for your questions here, Fake and Fam. Like, we've really this has been fun. Thank you, producer mm. Daniel, for hopping in here and dropping some absolute truth and oh, knowledge these past couple episodes. Let us know how much you love producer Daniel in the Discord server. Uh, he's 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 blushing. I can tell. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, we want to do more of these episodes. So like, uh, send us more of your questions uh, in the Discord channel. What is it? A podcast discussion. Podcast discussion. Podcast Drop discussion. Go join us there. Ask some questions, yeah. and we'll be shouting y'all out in uh, future episodes just like this. Don't be shy. I think it, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, y'all be safe. Peace, everybody.